Have any of you ever been caught in that cycle of the automated voice stuff? Anybody ever been there? This week, I had one of those incidents that happens sometimes when you move. I, uh, I ordered some medicine. Most of you know I'm insulin-dependent diabetic, and so I ordered some insulin. Well, I'd forgotten that I had not changed my address on the computer before I ordered the insulin, and there was no place to choose the address you wanted it shipped to, so I realized immediately that I had shipped it to Ripley. Well, that's a problem, because I'm not there anymore, and nobody is. And so I called to get information about what I needed to do to reroute the shipment. And the first thing I heard was, for English, say one. Right? You've been there. And for the next 15 minutes, I tried my best just to get a representative on the line. And I kept hearing this. I understand you would like a representative on the line, but it would be useful that I could give more information to your representative. And I thought it would be more useful if you could give me more information about how to get to representative. And after 15 minutes, I heard him say, we will now connect you with the next available representative. Those words somehow have become the most precious words in the English language. Amen? And so I'm getting ready to go to the next available representative, and I hear a little click, 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 click. And the next thing I hear is, for English, say or press 1. Started me all the way back over. By the way, here's a little tip. If you ever call those places, just start pushing 0 till you talk to somebody, right? I finally figured that out, but I thought about that in relation to prayer because so often in our world today, we've got all these things we have to go through before we can ever talk to anybody. We've got buttons to push and things to do and places to go and voicemails to get onto and emails to send, but very rarely is there communication between one person and another. And I thought about how amazing it is that in the midst of this universe where we have discerned for ourselves that we don't like to talk to each other, that God still desires to talk to us. A movie a few years ago came out called Bruce Almighty. And in this movie, Jim Carrey plays a guy that gets frustrated with his life, and God comes to him, and they work out a little deal, and God allows him to be God for a few minutes. Bruce gets to be God. And one of the things that happens almost instantaneously upon being realizing that he has the power of God, the ability of God, having that transferred to himself, is he begins to hear voices in his head constantly as prayers from all over the world come in. He goes to his computer and he has a million unread prayer mails. And so he begins to sift through all that, and you quickly understand how overwhelming all of that could be. But today we're going to talk about praying because I still believe that in spite of the fact that there may be a billion people praying at once, God hears, understands, and answers every one of them. One of the things that happens in that movie, Bruce Almighty, is he just starts clicking yes on every prayer request. Well, the first thing they have is they have uh, 14,000 people that have won the lottery. I don't know what you pray for. Probably not the best thing there. But you have all these prayers to answer yes, and I'm thankful for a God that doesn't answer yes to everything, but answers everything. You've got your Bibles. Turn to the book of Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 1. This morning we're going to talk about being passionately devoted to prayer. If I just said Matthew chapter 1, I meant Matthew chapter 6. That's what it meant to come out. It didn't come out. Matthew chapter 6. Go to the New Testament just a few chapters over. And the reason that I want to talk about that today is because I truly believe, and I mentioned this in the first sermon I ever preached from this pulpit, that this church will only rise as high as our prayer life rises. That we will only accomplish as much of God's will as our prayer life allows us to be in touch with Him. Now let me also say from the very beginning, this is not going to be a guilt sermon, okay? A lot of times you hear about prayer, the first thing that happens is you begin to feel inadequate because you don't pray enough. And we're going to talk about praying more, but I want you to understand from the beginning, I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. Because I don't believe prayer done by guilt is effective prayer. I don't believe God wants us to reluctantly come to Him and say, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do today, God, and if I don't do it, bad things are going to happen, so here I am, let me pray. That's not what's intended. And in Matthew chapter 6, you're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and the most famous passage of prayer starts in verse 9, but we're not going to even get there. We're going to talk about the verses that come before it. Because I think the verses that come before verse 9, verses 5 through 8, answer the three most common reasons that our prayers are ineffective. You see, the truth is that a lot of us say, well, well, Pastor, I, I wish I prayed more. I tried to pray more. But oftentimes when I pray, it feels like my prayers go no further than my phone calls go to those automated systems. And if I'm honest with you today, Pastor, when I go into my closet or when I'm in home or when I'm in public or wherever it is that I'm praying, it feels like I'm just in a routine of exercise and I'm not really doing anything. And so I just don't do it because it doesn't seem to be effective. It doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to give me any kind of feeling. It just seems to be nothing happening. And I think these passages of Scripture, this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, answers the three most common reasons that our prayers are ineffective. Here are the three reasons. We're going to do them quickly because we're going to answer them in the main points. First of all, our prayers are ineffective. They don't work because we don't pray. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Now, I said it's not a guilt sermon. I'm not going to guilt you into praying, but the reality is that if you don't pray, your prayers aren't going to work, right? You with me there? Which means yes, no, you're there. Okay. I mean, one of the axioms in basketball is, is that you miss all the shots you don't take. It just doesn't happen. And prayers don't work a lot of times because we just don't pray. Here's the second reason is we try to impress. We pray to impress. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, what that means. Here's the third reason. Not only do we not pray, not only do we pray to impress, but we are insincere. Now, Jesus, in chapter 6, is giving a sermon on the mount, and in the midst of that, his disciples want to know about prayer. Now, we're not real sure what the Sermon on the Mount constituted more than what's in here. The truth is that probably the Sermon on the Mount was longer than this. If you just read this Sermon on the Mount, then you'll see that it only takes you 15 to 20 minutes to read the entire sermon. Most of the time when Jesus spoke, he did not speak 15 or 20 minutes. This is how I know is because they had to have dinner a lot of times when he spoke. Right? And so if he were speaking, he would speak so long that those who had come had not eaten would say, wait a minute, people are getting hungry, we need to eat. 
Jesus, can you take a break for a minute? What most likely happened in the Sermon on the Mount is he was just giving ideas about different things and maybe even allowing people to ask questions. In Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, it tells us that the disciples are the one that institute this one because they come to Jesus and they say, teach us now to pray. That's interesting. They don't say teach us how. They say teach us now. We, we need to know. We've seen it in your life. And we want to know what's happening. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, before he gives the Our Father who art in heaven, before he gives the Lord's Prayer, he gives us some directives on how we're to pray. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This morning, I want to give you three things that you can do to encourage your prayer life, to kind of jumpstart your prayer life. Maybe you're somebody that doesn't pray much at all, and this, these three things will, will help you to kind of jumpstart that. Maybe you're someone that's a prayer warrior, and you're just looking for some newness and some life, and these three things can help you with that. Whatever your stage of prayer is, I want you to realize that what we're asking today is how do we improve in this area? Here's the first thing. The first step to being an active prayer life is to just do it. Now, I borrowed that phrase from an advertising campaign, but it's very applicable. It says here in verse 5, when you pray. Verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6, when you pray. Verse 7, when you pray. There are a couple of assumptions that Jesus has here as he begins this teaching on prayer. The first is that we will pray. The second is we need to be taught how to do it. The truth is that in our day, in our time, fewer and fewer people are practicing biblical prayer. Now, it's not that praying is out of style or people don't want to do it anymore. In fact, there's an online website that you can go to where you can submit your prayers to this website. It's called newprayer.com, and you just simply click on the pray button, and you transmit a prayer to some unknown God. They, they say on their website that it gives you the technology to send it out into space to the unknown God or whatever, but what's interesting is that as they've built this, they have thousands upon thousands of hits every day. People still want to pray. They just don't know how to do it in a biblical way. In the church, the problem is we may know how to do it in a biblical way, but it seems we're doing it less and less and less. Listen to these stats on the pastor's prayer life. The average minister in America spends at most, 30 minutes a day in prayer. 21% of pastors pray less than 15 minutes a day, and only 16% of pastors are satisfied with their prayer life. Now, I realize that last question is kind of like one of those questions you feel like you have to answer. No, I'm not satisfied with my prayer life. I can always do it better. But those first two are astonishing to me. That the men that are called to lead our churches in this country are operating on about 30 minutes of prayer a day. The truth is, if our pastors are operating on 30 minutes of prayer today, most studies suggest that the members are less. 
We have to just do it. Now, I said earlier, I'm not going to guilt you into anything. I don't think if you've not been praying, you need to set a goal to pray an hour and a half tomorrow. All right? Anybody here a marathon runner? Me neither. My least favorite event in or day in Jeannie Bell Elementary, that's where I went to school, Jeannie Bell Elementary, we were the bombers. My least favorite day was the presidential physical fitness test day when we ran the long distance run. I hated it. To this day, I don't like to run very far, like 20 feet or so. That's about it. And the truth is, I know that I don't run very often. I have worked out some. I I ride a bike some. Every once in a while, I'll do some workout stuff. But if I have a friend who lives in Nashville, one of my best friends growing up, he called me one day. We're talking back and forth. We're having a conversation. I said, so we were, we, this was back when we were kind of looking around here and God trying to figure God's direction out. I said, we're coming up this weekend. Maybe we could get together. He said, well, I'm running a triathlon on Saturday morning. I said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that thing coming up. When did you start training for this? He said, well, I've been training for it for a year or so. And a lot of us are like prayer we, like we are running. We don't do it very much. And for you to start doing the marathon of prayer would not be good, but you need to start somewhere, a little bit at a time. If you haven't been praying, maybe you say, tomorrow morning when I get out of bed, I'm going to establish five minutes and I'm going to start praying. And then the next day I'm going to do those five minutes again. And after a week of doing it every morning for five minutes, concentrated prayer, then in the afternoon I'm going to add five minutes at my lunch break. And then at night before I go to bed I'm going to add five minutes. And gradually as you build, you begin to build a life of prayer. Now also realizing that prayer is not necessarily something where you have to start and you have to stop all the time. In fact, Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing. And so the truth is you don't have to kind of engage and disengage. You don't have to pick up the phone and say, God, I'm here. Are you there? You can constantly talk to God, but it's good to have moments of focused prayer. The greatest example we have of that is our Savior Jesus. Keep your finger in Matthew, and we're going to turn over to Mark. It's not very far. Mark chapter 1. You see, one of the reasons that people say, well, Pastor, I, I just have a hard time praying because I'm just so busy. I get up in the morning and I've got to get the kids ready for school. And as I get the kids ready for school and I get them off, I've got to get to work. And then at lunch hour, I've got just a few minutes to go and grab something to eat and get back to the office. And then when I'm done, I've got to go get the kids. I've got to drive home. And we get home. We've got supper. We've got soccer practice. We've got baseball practice. We've got choir practice. We've got homework to do. We've got supper to do. By the time I get them in bed, I'm just tired and I want to lay down and go to bed. And sometimes I lay down and I try to, go to, try to pray before I go to sleep. And I get our Father or God out and the minute I do, I'm gone. I realize that busyness is just part of where we live. But what's interesting to me is this wasn't foreign to Jesus. Look in Mark chapter 1. Now, I want you to realize that this is all in one day. After Mark, Mark, just get, Mark is the guy that just says, here it is, let's go. He says immediately a lot. He just jumps. He doesn't try to transition. But in chapter 1, verse 14, it talks about John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come. So he goes in and he starts preaching. As he walks beside the Sea of Galilee, Simon and his brother Andrew come up. They fish. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He goes a little farther and he sees some more. He gets them out. He goes to Capernaum a little later. And while he's in Capernaum, and this is a day, 
Jesus went in the synagogue and began to teach. So he gets up and he goes and preaches. People are amazed at his teaching because he had taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit says, What do you want from us? Have you come to destroy us? And suddenly Jesus just sternly says, Be quiet. The evil spirit shook the man violently. The people were amazed. They asked him, Who is this? News about him spread quickly. As soon as they left the synagogue, so he comes to church on Sunday morning, he preaches, he heals somebody of demonic things, to cast out a demon. Verse 29, as soon as they leave, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, and she's in the bed with the fever, and Jesus talks about her and goes and he heals her. Verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak. Now here's the thing. You talk about one of the biggest, fullest days you can imagine. Jesus gets up early in the morning, goes to the synagogue and teaches. While he's there, someone is there that's demon-possessed. He casts out that demon. He goes for lunch at somebody's house. The mother is sick. He heals her of a fever. Suddenly people begin to hear of the casting out of demons, and it says late into the night. Other translations kind of give the idea that this went to 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. People just standing at the door. Jesus, we need you to heal. And one after another, Jesus heals them of various things. The whole town gathered out there. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Very early in the morning. On your handout or in your Bible somewhere, underline the words very early, underline the words still dark, and then underline the words he prayed. Here's the idea. Jesus has one of the busiest days you can imagine. But before anybody else gets up, he rises before it's dark and before it's light and prays. Let me tell you what's amazing to me about that is he didn't have an alarm clock. Think about that. He was disciplined enough to say, this is important to me, and I'm going to make sure, and I don't know how he did it, because there are times that if my alarm's not set, I just will sleep and sleep and sleep. Amen? Well, not that I have boys, because they act as alarm clocks for me, but before. And he says, before anything else happens, he sets aside time to pray. The truth is, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, if we're going to do the things God has called us to do, then we're going to have to make time for prayer, and we're going to have to just do it. Here's a second tip for you from Jesus, from God's Word. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6. The second tip is, not only we just do it, the second thing is we need to keep it simple. Keep it simple. Look what happens in verse 5. It says, when you pray, there's that word, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Here's an interesting little idea for you. The word hypocrite meant an actor. It meant someone that put on a mask. And from everything we can see, the person that made hypocrite a moral term describing people who act like they're religious when they're not is Jesus. No other place do we see anybody calling religious people hypocrites except Jesus. And so Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Keep it simple. Three things about keeping it simple. First of all is, God is not impressed with your vocabulary. Growing up, I grew up in a First Baptist church. Actually, the first four or five years of my life, I grew up in a church called Southside Baptist Church in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Just an old country church. And one of the things that always amazed me about that is in that congregation were farmers and day laborers and industry guys, guys that worked for a living, got their hands dirty, and when they stood up on Sunday morning and it was time for them to pray their prayer, all of a sudden you had thee and thou and hallowed and art. Now in Dyersburg, the only other time you heard the word art was when you were talking to a guy named Art. Right? And Scripture says that we are to speak to God just as we are. We are to talk to Him. He does not care how high your language is. You know one of my favorite things about Jesus' prayer life is that He starts every prayer in the New Testament except for the one when He's on the cross with the word Abba. He starts every sentence, every prayer that He prays in the New Testament except for the one when He's on the cross with the word in his native language for daddy. I want to be real honest with you. There are very few words in the English language that are as meaningful to me as the word daddy. Now, to be honest, sometimes that varies with the way it's being said, right? I mean, sometimes when it's mad daddy, it's not as good as when it's sweet daddy. But when my son Eli and even Luke, who is just now being able to start saying it, said, that, that, when I walk in, there's not much more precious to my heart. And what Jesus did every time he started a prayer of his home, he started by saying, that, that, daddy. God is not impressed with your language. Just talk to him as you talk to anybody else. Say, Jesus, I've had a terrible day. It's been horrible. Here's what's going on in my life. Jesus, <laughs> I need you right now because I just went out of this meeting and you know what was said in there and it wasn't very nice and I'm hurt by it and I don't understand the future and I just need you right now. Jesus, I just got this report from the doctor and it's terrible news and I don't know what tomorrow holds. I need you right now. Daddy, I need you. Just keep it simple. I mean, can you imagine if Eli decided that he wanted an Xbox game for Christmas? And he walked up to me and he said, Most gracious and wonderful Father, You who come into the house after work and bring joy to this place. For this holiday season... I would like to propose that you were to buy for me an Xbotheth Gameth. A Mineth. He doesn't do that. He says, Daddy, I want a game, right? Actually, it's Daddy, 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 I want a game. Just talk normal. Keep it simple. God is not impressed by your vocabulary. Here's the second thing, and most of the time this applies when you're in a group of people, is remember the audience. 
you, you can testify to this. You don't have to point fingers. You don't have to mentally think about it. But you can testify to this. You have been in prayer meetings. You have been in worship services where the prayers you knew were said so you would hear them instead of God. And if we're honest with ourselves, any of us that have ever prayed in public, we've prayed to be heard by men instead of God. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. He said, because what they do is they get up for everybody to hear how great they are instead of how great God is. It doesn't matter what setting in which you are praying. The only audience of conversation with prayer is our Heavenly Father, not each other. When you pray, remember the audience. Remember to whom it is praying. He says something interesting there. He says, the reason that we do that is because we need to figure out if we're doing it for the glory of men or the glory of God. And one of the things that we need to realize is when we're doing it for the glory of men, men's praise passes very quickly. This past Monday night, I uh, tuned in to watch some of the Titan Saints Monday night football game. And they talked about at the beginning of that game how great it was to be one year removed from when the Saints went back into the Superdome. Some of you remember that story after Katrina. Last year about this time they went back in and the Saints just really drilled an opponent and the excitement was there, the cheering that was there. Last year was a magical season. The Saints almost made it to the Super Bowl. They came into this year ready to go to the Super Bowl this year and they get here on Monday night. They'd already lost their first two games and close, not very far, into the game, first home game, you're minutes into it, one of them makes a bad play, and suddenly you hear boos throughout the whole place. Well, the first thing I thought was, the praise of men is short-lived. Here's the third thing about keeping it simple. The secret to prayer is secret prayer. Here's what it says. Verse 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, I don't think Jesus means here that you actually have a, or an actual room in your house that is your prayer room. If you do, that's great. That's fine. That's how you do it. But the truth is that what you have to have is a place where you go where it's just you and God, where you're not doing it for everybody else, and that you are praying to Him in a quiet place where you can focus on just you and Him. We need to realize that the secret to prayer is secret prayer. D.L. Moody once said that he could always tell somebody that didn't have a good secret prayer life because their actual prayer life in public was often very long and tedious. And this is what he said. He said, those with great secret prayer lives pray very short public prayers. Because they don't really care about who they impress. They have all their time along with God. One of the events that's happening right now is this President's Cup golf tournament. And one of the leaders of that for the United States is Tiger Woods, who is the greatest player in the world and possibly the greatest golf player ever. And I remember a few years ago watching a Masters tournament where Tiger Woods had a shot that just seemed impossible. It was around a tree in the rough, and he came up to it, he addressed it, and the guys on the TV said he really doesn't need to go at it. He just needs to pitch it out into the fairway. He doesn't need to try and go for the hole. And Tiger, being Tiger, took it, ripped it, went for the hole, got it up near enough to where he put it in for birdie. Launched him onto winning the tournament. 
after it was over, somebody said, boy, that sure was a lucky shot. Did, did you ever think you would pull it off? And Tiger Woods said, I wouldn't call that shot lucky. I practiced that exact shot at my house a thousand times the other day. This is what I thought. He had done it a thousand times. He knew what he was supposed to do. It just became natural for him to do it the right way. We need to make sure our lives are filled with prayer in secret places. Now again, I'm not telling you to go out and spend an hour and a half tomorrow. Just begin small, but begin some time alone. We need to make sure we do it. We need to keep it simple. Here's the third thing that we need to do. We need to mean what you say. Look what he says in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ever ask. Don't just babble. You need to mean what you say. You know what's interesting to me about this passage of Scripture is Jesus says to him right here, make sure that whenever you speak, whenever you say something, make sure that the words that come out of your mouth are things that you mean, things that you understand, things that you're trying to say, that it's not just some formula, it's not just some chant, it's not just some words that have become common to you, that you say what you really mean in your heart. You know what's interesting to me about that is? That he says that, then he gives a prayer that is probably the most chanted and recited and memorized prayer in the history of the world and it is said as often as it is when it's said with meaning it is said with people not even realizing what they're saying most of you in this room if I began to say our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name and I said join in with me without even thinking you could do it and that's part of the problem you do it without thinking now the truth is that not just the Lord's Prayer, but if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have those prayers in our repertoire that we say just because we always say them, and we just say them over and over again, and we don't even think about it. It's kind of like pushing play on the DVD player, and it just starts, and it just comes out. When someone says, could you bless our food for us this evening, and automatically the prayer starts. And what Jesus says is that kind of praying is not praying. That's reciting stuff. He says, don't babble like the pagans. The picture that I think of in the Old Testament is in the book of Kings when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and he's there and he's calling fire from the mountainside. And it says in Scripture that those people prayed for four or five hours fervently yelling and babbling over and over and over again because they thought if they said it the right way with the right words, then their God would answer. Jesus' point is it doesn't matter if you use the right way or the right words as long as you've got the right heart. And what he says is you need to mean what you say. That means three things. First of all, your prayer should never be predictable. If someone around you can finish your prayer for you when you start, it's probably got you in a rut. Now, I know that can be convicting. But it means that you ought to constantly look for ways to, to spice up your prayer. Maybe that means that you, uh, that you start with the letter A when you're praising God. And you just, every day you think of a different praise where the word A. And then you start with the B the next day and you go through the entire alphabet. Maybe that's a, that you find a book that gives you a formula and you try that for a while as long as it doesn't become something that you do without thinking. But you constantly are looking for ways to talk to God. Here's the truth. My conversations with my wife are never predictable. Amen, guys? 
My conversations with my children are never predictable. You know why? Because they're always based on a relationship. And they're always based on what I say and how she answers. They're always based on what I say and how he answers. If I say to Eli, Eli, you need to go to bed right now, and he says, no, Daddy, I don't think so, that conversation is going to change. If I say to my wife, man, it was a wonderful day today. Didn't you have a great day? And she said, do you know where you left your socks this morning? That conversation has changed. And the truth is, our prayer life is a conversation with God. And based on what's going on that day, the conversation will be constantly changing. If you're saying the same prayers every day, that means that either you haven't changed or you're not meaning what you're saying. Here's the second thing is that God already knows what you need. When you go into prayer, present your request to God, but don't present them like it's new information for Him. He already knows. He already knows every situation. He knows what's going on. He knows what's supposed to happen. He knows exactly what's happening. And so for you, what you're coming is you're coming in agreement saying, God, you know my situation. You know what's happening. I need you to do something in my life right now. I need to know you're there. And God will answer. And then you begin a prayer back. It's not just something where you go, and by the way, God, I don't know whether you know this or not, but this is happening. And you know, sometimes in our lives we pray that way. God, God you know so-and-so, and you know what's happening. God, do you know that she's got this going on? And Have you been aware that this is happening? And, and suddenly we think we're informing God of something. The truth is God knows everything about everybody that has ever lived or ever will live. He knows. My favorite story is about just trusting God's knowledge comes from a guy named Tony Campolo. And he tells a story of preaching at a Pentecostal church. And he said that it was a Pentecostal revival and it was the last night of the revival and they decided they wanted to see God's Spirit move in a mighty way. And so they all gathered all the elders around him and they laid hands on him while he was on his knees and they began to pray. And he said the thing about these guys is they did not believe in short prayers. And he said the longer they prayed, the more tired they got, which means the more they leaned on me. He said, gradually I began to feel the weight coming over me, over me, over me. And he said, it was fine. People were praying for my preaching. People were praying for the Spirit to move and all of that. He said, but then somebody in the middle of it, while he's leaning on me, saying, God, you know about old Teddy Stolfus. You know Teddy Stolfus. Teddy Stolfus is the one that lives three houses down, a couple of places past a trailer park on the right side of the road. You know old Teddy. And Tony said, at that time I was just going, I don't care where Teddy lives. Let's get this over with. And he said, God, you know old Teddy's wife left him today. He, he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's talking about running away. And God, he doesn't need to run away. Those kids need him. And he needs to know about you, God. And he needs to know your salvation. And Tony Campolo said he went through the meeting. Everything was fine. They had a great night. He said he got in his car, started to drive home. He's driving home on the side of the road. He sees this guy walking. He pulls over on the side of the road, says, can I help you? He said, sure, sure. I'm just trying to find a place to go. He said, all right, we'll hop in. I can take you a little ways. And so he stopped in, and Tony Campolo said, it's a different time, a different place. Hitchhiking was different then. I picked up a hitchhiker. He admits it, but it's okay. He said, the guy got in the car, and he started talking. He said, well, tell me your name. He said, well, my name's Teddy. Really? Teddy? What's your name, Teddy? Teddy, what's your last name? Teddy Stolfus. Tony Campolo said, as soon as he said, my name is Teddy Stolfus, I wheeled the car around and said, I'm taking you home. Teddy said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm taking you home right now. You don't need to leave your wife. Those boys need you. You need to know about Jesus. I'm taking you home right now. 
He said Teddy was like, all right, he might know something. He said, but Teddy was really shocked when he turned down the right street, went past the right houses, and turned into Teddy's driveway. Tony Campolo got out, shared Jesus with Teddy and his wife, and they both got saved. And he left there, and he says, you know, the thing is, God knew exactly that meeting was going to happen. God knew Teddy's need. He just was informing me of what I needed to do. When you go to God, realize that He already knows. He knows the answer. He knows the direction. And just trust Him. Here's the last thing about meaning what you say. Don't be predictable, but be persistent. Saying that we're not going to say things over and over again doesn't mean that we're not persistent in asking God for an answer. Scripture says over and over again that, that we are to continually go to God. There's a parable of an old widow and a judge and how she just continually pesters him, basically, and eventually he gives in. And the, the point there is not that God is waiting for us to pester him before he gives in. The point is that God wants us to consistently, persistently pray. And when we do, when the result comes, we will understand it is his work. One of the things that is going to have to happen as a church, if we're going to see God move in a mighty way, is that we're going to have to be passionately devoted to prayer. For you, I don't know what that means this morning. For you, some of you are already doing it. You're already praying, but, but it's kind of become liturgical. It's kind of become repetitious. It's kind of become ordinary, and you're looking for some way to spice it up. I'd love to be able to help you with that. Maybe if you've got some way that you say, oh, I really wish I could pray in a different way, you feel free to call me. Feel free to email me. Feel free to do any of that. I'd love to talk with you about it. Some of you need to say, I just need to break the tradition and the habit of what I always did because I want a real relationship with God. You see, the truth is, the reason that you don't have to guilt people into really praying biblically is when you start praying biblically, you don't want to give it up. Some of you here may just need to do it. Just to say, I'm going to start. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And at that time of invitation, this altar is going to be open for, for praying, for you to come and to pray here at the front. Now, I'll be standing at the front if you've got a decision to make. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you want to come and do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you think this is the church where God is plugging you in and you want to come and make that official. Or maybe you're here this morning and you just want to talk to me about something going on in your life. I'll be here at the front. But this morning, we're also going to have a different moment of invitation. Most of you, when you came in, got a couple of copies of a church prayer covenant. looks like this. If you don't have copies, there are some down here at the front. We're going to put them at the altar. You can come get one. Now, you may say, why do I need two of these? This is why. What I'm asking for you is that we as a church covenant together to pray. And so I'm going to have you sign this. Now, if you look through there, there are ten things. I'm going to ask you to read it before you sign it. We're going to read it together in just a minute. But what I'm asking is, if you would commit to doing this, to saying, I want to be passionately devoted to prayer, and here's a guide of ten things that I can pray for on a constant basis. Just ten minutes each day for this. You may pray more than that, but ten minutes for this. If that's who you are, I'm going to ask you to sign at the bottom. And I'm going to ask you to bring one of the copies that you sign, and I'm going to ask you to place it at this altar as an offering to God. Now again, remember what we said. Don't do this to impress anybody else. This is between you and God. 
And you're going to place it here at the altar, and it will be a sign of commitment to you. I want you to take the other one, and I want you to put it somewhere in your house where you can see it, where you can look at it, where you can say, that's who I am. That's what I'm praying for. Now, like I said, if you don't have a copy of this, we've got some copies that will be down here. And if you just want to come today and say, Pastor, I'm just committing to that. I didn't have a copy somewhere. I'll get you one. But let me just say this. If you as a people, if we as a church will commit to praying for these ten things, God will move in our midst like you will not believe. And so this morning our invitation is like it always is. If you're here and you need to accept Christ, you need to come. If you are here and you want to come and be a part of this fellowship, you need to come. But there's also a special invitation this morning to our church. And that is, will you commit to be people passionately devoted to prayer? Let me say this. If for some reason you say, I can't sign that right now, Pastor, because I don't want to commit to something that I'm not going to do. I want to take it home. I want to look at it. I want to think about it. Let me just say this. Any time in the next few weeks that you want to sign it and bring it down during the invitation, it's fine. I would much rather you not make a commitment you're not going to keep than to make a commitment that you won't keep. Are you willing to be a people passionately 